Hello, welcome to another episode of the Fillory Podcast, where we look back at the stories of the start, the early beginnings and past projects of current founders to uncover insights that you can apply to your business today. I am Brandon Hondoko, and on this episode, I'm very excited to be joined by Pat Walls, who is a good friend of the show and the founder at Star Story, a website for users to learn about the similar humble beginnings of other founders. Before this, Pat founded Delight, a SaaS platform to simplify the wholesale orders between businesses and suppliers through Delight's customizable order forms that business owners could fill out without having to log in. In this episode, Pat and I discuss the fuzzy definition of product validation, indicators that tell you that you should pursue your side project full-time, and the 24-hour startup challenge, a fully livestream event that Pat ran that had almost 200 founders launch a project in 24 hours. Sit tight, get a notebook ready, and thank you for listening. This podcast episode wouldn't have been possible without the help of our friends over at Acadia, the platform that connects founders and startups with marketing students for three-month internships. No matter what kind of business you're running, there's a big chance that you need a hand with marketing and sales. Acadium provides a cheap solution for that. For only $299, you get a three-month partnership for interns and virtual assistants. The best part of it all is that they're offering a $50 discount for all of Failery subscribers. Redeem this now at failery.com slash get slash Acadium. Once again, that's failery.com slash get slash Acadium. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Failery Podcast, your one-stop shop for failed ventures and failed projects, but more importantly, the lessons you can learn from them. My next guest was previously at Deloitte, and he worked a bunch of roles, you know, in the San Francisco Bay Area, in New York City, as a software engineer before founding Starter Story. I'm very, very excited to have Pat Walls on the podcast. Hello, Pat. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. You know, you're doing so many big things right now. You know, you did, you don't need WordPress. You're doing, you know, the 24-hour startup. You did Starter Story. But I'd love to just, you know, scale back and take it from the beginning. We did our research on our end. And, you know, what we have is that, please, please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here. But we have that you graduated UCSB 2013 with a degree in economics. Like that's your, you know, that's the beginnings that we have of you. Yeah. And then you went on post-grad to work at Deloitte. Could you tell us about that? You know, like how did you go from, I guess it seems like a easy transition, but how did you go from a degree in, you know, economics and accounting to Deloitte? Like what drew you to like, you know, tech? What drew you, you worked like responsibly in like S1 filings and like, you know, it says on your LinkedIn that you were like the sole person responsible for filing the S1 for like a high profile, like company IPO. You know, like what drew you to tech? What got you into there? And yeah, could you tell us, you know, anything about Deloitte that you took away? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, for anyone out there listening, Deloitte is an accounting firm. So when I graduated from college, I decided that I wanted to be an accountant, which was not the wrong decision because I don't have any regrets for it, but it's not what I'm doing now. And my story is just some of the background that you mentioned already is it's a lot of different stuff. And I think that's because we can get into the details of all that and, and how that journey went. But I think the underlying thing for me is that I just never really knew what I wanted to do. And I kept trying different things. So even before I graduated from college, I went to a community college. I didn't do very well in high school. And I thought I wanted to be a lawyer or an English major. And then I moved to accounting. And then, you know, I kind of moved into tech. And then after that, I moved into coding. So for me, the story more high level is like, I was always just trying to figure out what I want to do. And if anyone out there is listening that 
maybe is moving around careers or just doesn't really know what they want to do. That's kind of where I was at at the time. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. And I guess, yeah, like, you know, you talk about you wanting to be a lawyer. How did this like spill over into you wanting to, you know, work in tech? Yeah, well, the thing is, you know, I look back and I realize that it's always what I wanted to do, but it never felt like realistic that I could, you know, build sure. products or write code. And like, if I look back to when I was like in my teens and I was so into tech, like Apple computers, and I was really like a tech nerd like that. And I just love that <laughs> kind of stuff. But sure. I just never like... Maybe it's just like my family growing up, but they're not really in that kind of industry or anything like that. It took me a while to actually get into tech and get into even a founder role. It took over 10 years to get there. So yeah, I mean, I started just like, oh, well, I got a job at a law firm and maybe I could be a lawyer. That sounds like, you know, a career. I just never knew what I wanted to do. I was one of those people like, like you'd ask, like, oh, what do you want to do when you grow up? past obviously like being a baseball player or whatever when I was you know eight years old it's like I don't know what I want to do and that was kind of the reason why I jumped around so much mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and then you know just taking it chronologically you go from an associate role at Deloitte you worked there for about a year and then in 2014 you move on to becoming a solutions architect at Anaplan I guess I'm just curious about this you know transition you know, you graduated of US UCSB with like economics and accounting, and then you go on to moving into like more of a technical role, like doing, you know, agile software development. You know, I'm just curious, like, did you ever see yourself, I guess, becoming like a coder? Like, did you ever see yourself becoming like an engineer? How did you get into, you know, engineering? Because like the next few roles that you have are like all, you know, software engineers at like companies in like San Francisco, companies in New York. So I'm just curious, how did you move from the industry of, you know, law and accounting towards like engineering? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So when I was doing accounting, I went and worked for, yeah, like you said, one of the big accounting firms. And I didn't even last a year there because it was way too corporate. And I just like knew right away that it wasn't for me. So I got out of that as quickly as I could. And luckily I kind of knew that I wanted to do startups, which is why I chose to do accounting after college. It was like a good job <laughs> working for one of those big four firms. And so I chose to go to San Francisco because I thought maybe one day I could, like maybe I could join a startup or just get into the industry, whether it was getting in through accounting or whatever. That was kind of in the back of my head the whole time. So once I got to the accounting firm, then I was like, okay, I hate this, but I still want to get into startups somehow because I was doing accounting for startups as a consultant at the accounting firm. So luckily I got a job at an enterprise tech startup called Anaplan, and it was more of a yeah technical role. Like accounting is pretty technical, but this was a little bit closer to engineering. Sure. It was more on the software implementation side than like an accounting and spreadsheets kind of thing. So I got there. That was an amazing experience working for a startup. First time I got to do that, which if anyone has that opportunity that's listening to a podcast or anything like that, that was a great way to get in there. And then after about a year and a half there, again, this is like the constant theme is like, I felt I wanted the next challenge. I wanted to get more technical and I wanted to learn how to code because I was doing some sort of kind of coding stuff there or maybe more like database stuff. But I was like, okay, well, I really enjoy this work. I think maybe take it the next step further and become a coder. So at that point, I did a coding boot camp and that was in 
2016 or late 2015 or something like that. And then I became a software engineer and all that again. Yeah. It was kind of like in the back of my head is like, okay, if I could learn to code, then it gets me one step closer to starting a company someday. So does that give you kind of like a sense of how that kind of journey happened? No, no. Yeah, absolutely. That was a great, you know, that was a great, great, like chronological journey into like what you were thinking at the time. Well, I was never really like thinking that sure. way, like in hindsight, that's how it looks, but always looking for the next best mm-hmm. Like the, the next step. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, post coding bootcamp, I guess, you know, you take jobs as like engineer at companies in like San Francisco and like another company in like New York. And then you go on to find starter story. But, you know, in between this like engineer role, you have like another startup that like I'd love to uncover as we like go deeper into the podcast, but called Delight. And that was like, you know, the startup that like I guess you that like didn't really work out, you know, it failed. And then you got a lot of learning out of it. But I'd love to just, you know, scale back. Like before we just like go into that, like in hindsight, it looks like you always wanted to be a founder. But I guess you know, you have this like impressive track record of working in industry, you know, with, you know, working at like one of the big four law firms, working at a startup and then just like moving up your way into like just becoming a software engineer. I guess what made you really make the switch from industry to startups? You know, like what was it like you tell you say that like you didn't really like working in Deloitte or like you didn't like working in like the big four law firm. Like, I guess I'm just curious as to what like made you make the switch from, you know, industry into like more of like, you know, you being your own boss, like just like you founding a startup? Yeah, it's a great question. I think for me, it's been kind of like I said earlier, is always looking for the next challenge. So like at one point, the next challenge for me was to learn how to code. Sure. And then once I learned how to code and became comfortable with that and confident in that, I was like, okay, I'm not sure I want to be an engineer working for a company for the rest of, you know, the next 30 years. I don't want to be an engineer. I don't have an engineering career. I want to take these skills and eventually with the goal of being able to work for myself and build my own thing. Because I think I get a lot of value out of, yeah, building my own thing that's, you know, owned by myself and not, it's going to sound pretentious, but I don't want to do work at first, you know, when I first got into the corporate world and working for companies is like so exciting to be at the startup and, and to build this thing. But then you do it once or twice or three times and you're like, well, I want to build this thing, but build it for myself. I don't want to fulfill someone else's dream. I want to fulfill my own dream. My own dream is to, you know, build my own business and build and have impact as a founder. So. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, that's like a great segue into your first startup or like you're building your own product. So this was Delight. Am I pronouncing that correct? Yeah, Delight. Yep. Sure. So, you know, I love to play this game with founders, but, you know, if you had to explain what Delight did to like a 10 year old, what would you say? Yeah. Yep. It's a great question. So pretend that you are an ice cream manufacturer, like you make ice cream. You're the most, uh, you're a regional ice cream maker. So you make a lot of ice cream. You don't sell it directly to the consumer. You sell it to all the ice cream stores across California. So most of the time, your sales are handled through email. So the store emails you or you email the store and they say, hey, can I buy 14 jugs of ice cream, vanilla, and you know five jugs of chocolate ice cream? So this was a way for the manufacturer to send that ice cream store a form where they could fill it out and pay right there and then order their ice cream without having to have an email back and forth. That was the idea behind it. Yeah, I love how you, you know, like 
allude to the 10 year old by like talking about like selling ice cream <laughs> it's very very good but i assume you know this was like for like more wholesale like just anything you were selling and if like there's a provider sure 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 yeah and you know i guess i'm just like curious to like uncover you know like what really really made you like build delight you know what was the problem that you guys were solving and I guess, yeah. Why Delight is your first startup? Yeah. So this was right after the, well, maybe six months after the coding bootcamp. And I was working as a full-time software engineer. And again, that same like theme is like, okay, well, I'm a software engineer now and I work nine to 4 PM, like really chill hours. And I had a roommate at the time who was an entrepreneur and he he's like, I have this idea because he ran his own manufacturer like he was an ice cream manufacturer, not ice cream, but for pet food. <laughs> sure. And he's like, I had this idea. And I was like, oh, perfect. Let's build a startup. And that was like pretty much it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was his idea because he had like business experience there. And for me, I was like, well, I'm only working nine to four. So on nights and weekends, let's just build this thing and then see what comes out of it. Yeah, absolutely. For me, I wanted to build it like I was looking for something. I wanted to build something. And maybe in the meantime, I was building like little small side projects for myself and, you know, code projects and stuff like that. But once I saw the opportunity to work with my friend and build something, we just jumped on it right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's like a great segue into this next topic that I have. But, you know, you say that you work like nine to four. And, you know, like you alluded to how B2B customers also work nine to four, which was like your primary like target. So, you know, as working on Delight and working as like a software engineer, you had to like constantly, you know, take breaks from work or like you had to like find excuses to get out of work so that you could go to a coffee shop and take some sort of like sales call or phone call. Honestly, like, first of all, like lots of lots of respect to the hustle, you know, like that's incredibly, incredibly tough to just like constantly find excuses to get out of work. But, you know, I guess what are your thoughts here about working full-time as well as running your own startup that like kind of had traction, you know, you eventually, I guess, had to like shut down Delight. You know, if you had to go back and choose again, how would you, you know, decide between this high potential company that you and your roommate are starting and, you know, a full-time job that gives you some sort of security? Yeah. Well, when we first decided to make the software, we didn't anticipate the sales side of it. So Mm -hmm. we built it nights and weekends and it was like the best time ever because, you know, we just thought we would build it and we would just immediately get customers because, you know, we thought we had a validated idea because my roommate was needed the product. And mm-hmm. we didn't anticipate once we actually launched it that nobody cared about it. Like nobody yeah. joined. We had to go manually do sales, which, like you said, meant I had to jump on and do demos in the middle of work. So I had to leave work and then go to a coffee shop and take the demo call. You know, half the time they don't show up to the call. And we didn't anticipate that. So that was more of a, like, okay, well, crap, we already built this. We can't just like stop now. Let's at least try. And then that was where everything started to fall apart and fail. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just curious, you know, did it ever like cross your mind as you guys were building Delight to go out and like validate that this was like something that people needed? Because I think at least from like the framing of the context, it seemed like this was a project that your roommate, more so than anyone else, like your roommate really needed this product. So, you know, I guess like I'm trying to get into like the reasons of like you guys have to shut Delight down. But, you know, it seems more so to me like a, you know, a product looking for a problem versus vice versa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was more of a cool idea than it was a need to have. And the thing is, 
no, we didn't validate it properly, but we did run it by customers who are like, yeah, we want this. We need sure. this. But the reality is, maybe we'll get into that a little bit later, is that they didn't need it enough. Sure. And they didn't need it enough to set it up today. They were like, oh, we'll do this eventually. And then we had customers, I'm doing air quotes right now, but they weren't actually using the product. And that was a big lesson for me is that look at usage. Are people actually using your product? Like customers, how many customers you have doesn't matter. It matters if they're actually using it. So yeah, absolutely. It's like, you know, people who like they say it's like a cool thing to have, but like it's not really like a big like priority or like necessity for them where it, you know, changes their workflow entirely. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for being vulnerable. And I guess, you know, I'm just curious about, you know, Delight in general, just like framing the context. You guys applied to Y Combinator. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I've been rejected from Y Combinator two times now. I've had two interviews there, both for a new product that I was working on recently sure. or that I'm still working on, and then also for Delight. So I think when I first started, when we first built Delight, I was... This is before Starter Story, obviously. So I didn't know about this kind of like community and yeah. failure too. I didn't know about failure or really anything. <laughs> uh -huh. So all I knew was YC and I was in SF and that's a trendy thing. So we just thought that maybe we could get into YC and that would be the way that we could quit our jobs because YC is going to give you something like $150,000 and then you can work full time. So that was the goal for us is like, okay, well, this is really hard for us to do this with our full-time jobs. We all have full-time jobs. So we're like, okay, if we can get into YC, maybe we can do this and we can pivot and we can like really put, go all in on it. The process for getting into YC is you submit an application and then you get an interview, but they sometimes do this video interview thing. So we didn't get like an onsite interview, but we got a video interview, which is like about 10 minutes long. And when we did that, you know, YC is they're so smart and they just immediately see the problem that you're having as a business, which was how much are people using it? And like in the 10 minute interview we had, he basically just like opened us all up to the fact that he made basically us admit to the fact that people aren't actually using it. And then we got rejected. So yeah, yeah. They say like, oh, I mean, you know how many companies apply to YC? Something like 15,000. Like, yeah, we've seen this business and they've probably seen that business 100, 200, 300 times apply that idea, something around that idea. So they know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, leeweighing off of that, right? Do you have any takes around, I guess, you know, being someone who repeatedly applied to YC, do you have any takes around the YC process? You know, like today in, you know, San Francisco, it's like a, almost like a badge of honor where like people brand their companies, you know, on LinkedIn with like, oh yeah, we're this company, YC Winter 20 or something. Do you have, you know, any thoughts on, I guess I'm just like, you know, it'd be like definitely, you know, life altering for you to like do YC because you could like quit the full-time job. But I guess, you know, with Starter Story now and like I'm assuming it's like fully bootstrapped or, you know, like you guys didn't like do YC. Is there any, you know, takes that you have being like a YC applicant that like, what would you say about YC? You know, like, is it something that's like, yeah, I guess that's the question I'm trying to get at. Yeah, no, I have a lot of thoughts on it. And I'm not going to sit here and say that if YC offered me, you know, right now to go into their program that I wouldn't do it because I do think that yeah. it's super valuable for the connections that you'll make and the stuff that you'll learn because of the partners and the alumni and all that. And the money is nice too, but 
What I think about it is that you don't need it and you don't need to rely on it. So just because I got rejected from YC that first time and then also recently, it has never stopped me from trudging on the bootstrapped path or you know going through it. It doesn't mean that I'm going to go immediately look for fundraising because YC doesn't work. I'm more interested in it for the network. And also, like you said, like the badge of honor, that is something that, you know, can really help whether the reason why people put it on their LinkedIn profiles and on their email signature is it makes them look more legit. Yeah. It's like validation, right? Yeah. The validation. So that might lead to more investors, more customers, partnerships or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. I think all that's, what was I going to say? I lost my train of thought. <laughs> You're saying something about like YC and you don't have to like rely on YC? Yeah, you don't have to rely on it. And then let's say, I forgot what I was going to say. Something <laughs> really, something really ins- inspirational, but then I forgot. Sure, sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try to like, you know, pull it out of you soon, soon. But yeah, so within that mantra, you continue trudging forward with delight, like, you know, despite YC. And I guess I'm just curious, you know, today with like the B2B space being very, very nuanced. Do you believe that like there's space for delight to exist today? Is the problem that, I guess, you know, validated, unvalidated, like is there a problem that you guys were building out delight for? Is it like solved? Like, do you think there's like space for delight to exist today? You know, with the learnings that you have taken from delight? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Just from all the businesses I've seen going through Starter Story and just being generally more knowledgeable about market and all that kind of stuff. And like, especially one thing I see recently is a lot of these no code tools. Like there's a lot of these platforms that help you build what we were trying to build at Delight. So maybe it's a little bit more abstracted away than for a specific market like we were targeting. These kinds of tools and no code tools are really trendy right now and also doing really, really well. I can't speak to specific competitors, or specific people that are doing exactly what we're doing. But I do think that just B2B in general and commerce, like we were doing like wholesale kind of thing and seeing how big Shopify has become and, and all that, I think that there's a massive opportunity there. We just didn't execute properly. And I think we might've been too early and also gave up too quickly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And like, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but like, you know, being a founder in the vertical for like a year, I'd love you know, your thoughts about the vertical in general, you know, because I think a lot of takes around today are like that B2B sales are very, very nuanced or like, you know, they're selling to the take around like, oh, you're selling to people still or like your B2B is like similar to B2C in a way. I guess I'd love your thoughts around, you know, building a startup in like B2B, what you guys expected, what you took out of it, like what you got wrong, what you got right. Are you asking how it compares from B2B to B2C? Sure. Yeah. I don't mean to be too vague, but like just anything you took out of the like the B2B space today that like yeah yeah well what I think is especially if you're bootstrapped I think and that also my experience with how to make money online is that it's a lot easier to make money from other businesses than it is to make money from consumers so a business is I just think from my perspective sometimes is like I don't spend any money on Netflix or any of these subscriptions, I'm super cheap. <laughs> but when it comes to my business, I spend money on you know lots of stuff because you know number one, like it can take time away that I can spend on more important things to grow the business. And then number two is also for tax reasons, like all your expenses as a business are basically you know can subtract the tax rate away from that. It makes you less profitable, so you pay less taxes. And yeah, I would say that that's kind of some of the main reasons businesses are just willing to spend money to make money. 
And then a lot of businesses are also backed by capital and businesses that have capital or have raised money are even way more willing to spend money. If you think about, just think about employees, like how much businesses pay for certain employees, like the average salary in in San Francisco is maybe like, let's say it's $120,000 for an engineer or something like that. That means that business is paying $10,000 a month for that one employee to do, you know, one role or whatever they do. If your software costs you know, $100 a month, that's 1% of the cost of one person's salary. Whereas if you say, hey, you know, will you pay $10 a month for my new Netflix competitor? Most people are going to say no. I don't know if that makes that No, yeah, absolutely. That, 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 that's, yeah, that's a great comparison, you know, and I guess, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'd love to just like pull it out or like, I hope this is like not too big of a tangent, but, you know, going towards like back to delight, right? You kind of mentioned it in like the previous question that you're answering, but like, I'd love to just unlock, you know, like your takeaways, like your personal take of, you know, what led to Delight's failure. I think the first one is just me, you know, first startup, very naive, thought that we would build something and then customers would just come. So we just built it and then didn't get any customers. Like we, we were so naive and like you look back and you just like, you laugh at yourself because we had no plan to get customers. We just thought that we would build something cool and people would come. So that's the first one. The next thing was co-founders not being aligned. You know, we all had full-time jobs and it was really exciting in the beginning to build something. But when the times got tough, me and my co-founders weren't as aligned. And, you know, like for example, one of my co-founders or me, something big came up at work, like our full-time jobs, then like Delight really took a back seat. And then, you know, when you see your co-founder working on it, not at all, or I'm not working on it at all, and the co-founder is working on it a lot, that can lead to some serious animosity or just like basically just everything falls apart at that point because you feel like the person that you started this company with isn't there anymore or just less involved. I mean, there's a lot of market reasons too why it failed, which I kind of already touched on, but for personal reasons and stuff that is like pretty preventable, I think those are a couple big ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just like taking it chronologically post delight, I'm assuming like you went back or like, I hope this is right, but like you went back to software and you worked in the companies in like um, the Bay Area and then New York. And then from there, you know, you move into... You know, startup number two in starter story. I guess I'd love for you to just like, you know, take me through your journey. Like what was your thought process around, you know, post delight and then going into like back to industry and then, you know, two years in industry, a little bit over two years in industry and then back to startups. Yeah, no, I think that's kind of the big inflection point for me is that when delight ended, we cut it off hard too. I think it was like pretty soon after the YC rejection, we're like, okay, we don't know if we're going to. We just don't have the will to take this idea. And I was kind of over the idea at that point too, because that's another another thing maybe we'll talk about is that I didn't have passion for the idea. My roommate did, and it was more for him. So I lost interest in the topic as well. So at that point, I kind of reevaluated things and said, okay, well, I love the process of building delight, even the hard times. And like I caught the what I call like the startup bug where I knew I wanted to do it again and I wanted to do it again soon. I just needed to take a step back and keep experimenting, trying things and maybe find another co-founder or find a new idea and just keep working on stuff. So 
it was at that point where I was not happy with the job that I had, like my full-time job for like reasons that aren't important. But so that, <laughs> and then I moved to, to New York city and got another full-time software engineering job. And again, going back to the theme of like, not always wanting more challenges. I like pretty quickly got back into the idea of starting another business, but this time no one wanted to start a business with me. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I was really asking a lot of people, but I was like, all right, well, if I can't find any co-founders, I'm just going to do this myself. And that's the moment that I thought, okay, well, Delight didn't work. Maybe I could do something smaller and something that can actually work with my full-time job. So my full-time job, like I said earlier, I had to jump out for meetings and all that kind of crap, but I wanted something that I work on nights and weekends and it doesn't interfere with my performance at my full-time job. And you know, I had no problem with working the hours. I was so eager to start something that I wanted something that could work with both. So I started learning more about content marketing and blogging, and I had no idea how any of that worked at the time. And I heard that you can make money online that way. And I also had come across indie hackers at that point. They were just brand new and their whole website is about developers who are making money on side projects or on their own you know, bootstrapped businesses. So I started reading a lot of interviews there and I was like, all right, well, I think doing something like a blog or content marketing will be the next thing I'll try. I'm just going to try to learn everything about it and, and see what comes out of it. So at that point, maybe I'm like three months into my new full-time job and already kind of got the hang of things there. So now I'm like fully going in on building a blog, but I still didn't know what I wanted to build it about because I was researching affiliate marketing, how to make money through affiliate links, which looking back is, you know, I know a lot more than I did then, but I thought I could start a website about a random niche. And this is some of the advice that these affiliate marketing gurus will tell you about is like start a blog about outdoor activities and then link to products that, you know, like coats and, and backpacks and you'll make all this money. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do that. And my niche is going to be for like pets, like people that have dogs and cats, even though I don't have a dog or a cat or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I started building this content marketing website about pets and I got like three weeks in and I was like, all right, I have no interest in this topic. And I started losing interest again. It's like common thing for me to just keep trying stuff and, and it all always fails. But then I had the moment and it clicked. I was like, all right, well, I could do this content marketing thing, but let's do it about a topic that I'm actually passionate about. So I scrapped the pets thing and I made it about entrepreneurship because obviously I'm a huge fan of that and I love that kind of content. And I thought that'd be like amazing way to like, number one, just learn about this whole blogging thing. And then also meet people, learn about I knew possible ideas. So I just built it as a way, maybe like as a vehicle to find another project or like just learn more. And that's how Starter Story started. <laughs> Sorry yeah. if that was long. No, no, absolutely. And then, you know, you said about you were doing this also as like a side project, you know, comparative to Delight where you had to hop out of like work where this one you were like, you wanted to do something where you could work nights and weekends. I guess I'm just curious about the tangent. What other lessons, you know, that you took from Delight's shutdown that you brought over to Starter Story? Like what tangible insights that you got from Delight? Yeah, I think the biggest thing from Delight was realizing that no one actually used the product. So the biggest thing for me 
from starter stories that people were actually reading it and enjoying it and subscribing to it and all that stuff without any work from me. I mean, not, I mean, I was obviously working and trying to promote it, but it was a kind of thing where people were sharing it with their friends and excited to read the article. So it was like that, that validation was definitely like, I wanted, yeah, that. And then also the thing that just came to mind is that start small. So delight and yc and all that stuff it was just too big for me at the time like i was too naive and it was too ambitious to be honest and that made a great learning experience in and of itself but i thought okay let's scale it back let's do something small let's start really small a blog i guess it kind of like humbled me a little bit to realize that maybe i can't start a massive unicorn kind of startup like yc is looking for but i can start something really small i have the skills to code and, and build websites. So that was a big kind of takeaway from Delight as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like from hearing you talk about it, it seems like more so than not, you were excited about, you know, building entrepreneurial content versus building things for, you know, B2B that you had no interest in <laughs> at all versus like your roommate. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of apparent in the name, but Star Story is, you know, it's currently a site for users to learn about you know, businesses and like startups people are like building. And, you know, you guys have about like 70 interviews that you're publishing a month. And like you've rolled out things for like tools for potential businesses to use and like user memberships for like exclusive content on top of that. I guess, you know, I'm just curious and like I just want to unlock here. How did you get from, you know, people just sharing it and like you guys were like a site about people sharing things about their pets. How did you go from that to you know, start a story full time and, you know, sourcing 70 interviews a month and, you know, user membership and like tools for potential founders. Yeah. I'd love to just like talk about like how you guys grew and how you guys like blew up. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's great. So started starter story and <laughs> so you get jump back where after the failed pets blog started starter story and the hardest thing to do is to find people to interview. Right. So no one wants to be featured on your website that doesn't exist yet. So I have a friend who's an entrepreneur, my roommate. I reached out to him and I said, hey, can I interview you about your business? And I'm just going to call you on the phone and I'm going to ask you these questions and then I'll transcribe it and turn it into an interview. And that was my first interview on the site about his pet products business. And then I had another friend and I had a friend of a friend. And then before you know it, I had like 10 interviews on the website and no one was reading the website. And I know I mentioned that it like, it gained popularity quickly, but it wasn't an overnight thing. I was just excited to have the website being built and to have these interviews. And I was learning a lot just by talking to founders and building a website. You just learn so much doing it and how do you promote the website and how do you get people to read it and that kind of thing. So it was just a really slow process to get those first 10 interviews or something like that. And I think it probably took, it probably took three to four months like we do 70 interviews a month now, but it took me like three or four months to get 10 interviews and build the website and design it and all that stuff. So I was just working on that nights and weekends and really enjoying the process, building something, just, you know, something I love to do is, or any founders or people listening love to do that too, is to build something. So I was loving that. And then about four months in, we started getting a little, like, so the first month we had like maybe a thousand people visit the website total. And that was because I was spamming the link all over Facebook and Reddit and <laughs> doing anything I could to read it. But then the next month we had like 4,000 people visit the website or maybe 2,000. I can't remember. It was really small, but every month it grew a little bit. And then on the fourth month, 
we had the first Reddit post go viral. So I post, I took a story and I put it onto Reddit and then it like got like 400 upvotes and the guy who owned the business was like, oh, I'm getting all this business. And I was looking at it, I was like, I'm getting all this traffic. I had like hundred people on my website at that given time. And then I think the month after that, I had like a viral hacker news post where like 40,000 people visited my website in one day. And just because the story was so awesome that we did for the interview. <laughs> yeah. And it, like, it was a really cool business. And that's how it kind of took off. And then from there, it was like, all right, well, I'm just going to keep interviewing more founders. And now we almost interviewed over a thousand founders now. So that's the story. And I, we can jump more and dive more into the details there. But yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I asked you this question earlier because, you know, I kind of wanted to do like kind of this cool thing where like I asked you a question earlier and I asked you a question today that's more relevant. That's but like the same question. But, you know, you, you talked about like working on Starter Story alongside your full time job. And now it is like it's become your full time job. And I guess, you know, just like to juxtapose that between you in Delight and like being software engineer at the San Francisco company. You know, when do you know when to like do it full time? I know like it's always like you have to take a big bet, but what were the signs for you that you were like, oh, you know, I could probably just do Starter Story full time instead of just like doing this like only on nights and weekends? Yeah, so that's a great question. The first thing I would say is while I'm working on Starter Story, which I did work on it for a year before I quit my full time job. So I worked yeah, on it part time yeah. for a year, is like every single day is like a mental challenge to like for me, at least, it was like a mental challenge to be like, I cannot wait till I don't have a full-time job so I can work on this full-time. So like every day was me just wanting to get my revenue up higher and grow it and all that stuff. And like, and maybe some people listening are going through something similar where like they're dreading their full-time job so much and they just want to like quit right now. That's how I felt almost every day. But I think it's a good thing because the full-time job really helps you prioritize your time. And it also is a good indicator that this is really what you want to do is if you are going to spend your nights and weekends working on something else and you continue to do that for months, then, and you don't, it doesn't like fizzle out like most of my previous projects, then that's probably a good sign. And you should just keep working and you'll get there because it just takes time. Yeah. And to answer your question about why I quit my full-time job. <laughs> sure. Well, it's a longer story of, I did this thing called the 24 hour startup. Yeah. Where I put on Twitter that I was going to build a product in 24 hours. It's a totally random idea. And this is before the 24-hour startup challenge, which is another thing. But yeah, I did it yeah. myself. And I was like, okay, I'm going to launch a product in 24 hours. I know how to code and build a product. And I kind of know a little bit about product hunt and this whole launching thing. So I was like, I'm going to do it. And you guys can watch me because I'm going to stream it on Twitch. So I did that. And then it like kind of went viral on Twitter where – it got retweeted by some like Peter Levels and some like prominent people in the the maker startup space on Twitter. So then I, I did it. It was on a weekend. I still had my full time job at the time, and like a ten thousand people watched me do it. And it was like this crazy experience where I felt like I was famous on Twitter for a little bit. <laughs> so <laughs> it was literally the day after that after that happened and I successfully launched it and it did really well on product time. It went like number one for the day and number one on Hacker News and that kind of thing. So I felt this is, this is a ridiculous thing, but I felt so confident that I could like 
build startups that I just quit my job on the spot after that. Wow. <laughs> but I, I had already had a starter story at the time and was making money. And I had a plan to quit my job in six months, given my runway and all that stuff. But then this happened and I was like, right, I'm just going to do it now instead of in six months. Yeah, yeah. I'd love, you know, that was like a great tangent because like I had a whole bit about it here that we were wanting to talk about. But yeah, sure. You know, I'd love to just get into that. You know, like if it is like relevant towards like in the journey, like, you know, quitting your job, like straight up after, you know, 24 hours after that goes viral. Sure. You know, I'd love to talk about, you know, what you built and like moving forward, you know, like the 24 hour startup challenge. Yeah. The 24 hour startup challenge. The best part about that was everyone who watched it was like inspired to build their own products because they saw me doing it firsthand or they saw that it was possible to do something that seems like it should take months to do it in 24 hours. So I had a lot of people telling me like, oh, you know, I'm so inspired by this. I'm going to do it. And a lot of people started streaming themselves too. So that was always the kind of motive behind a 24-hour startup for me. It was not about building products that are going to be successful. It was about like experimenting and showing people that stop thinking so much about what you want to do and just do it. And this is an example of how you can easily just do it. So we did the 24-hour startup and I quit my job at that point. And then again, saying that I want to inspire more people to do that. So we built me and two people who were also into streaming and had also done 24-hour startup kind of stuff. We launched like an online hackathon for 24-hour startups. So people had seen me do a 24-hour startup. And then we basically said, I want everyone to do a 24-hour startup in one day and everyone's going to stream on the same day and we're going to have cash prizes and we're going to do like, it was kind of like an esports thing almost <laughs> <laughs> where we had like a main live stream and we had, yeah, the main cash prize was like $1,000 and then we had another twenty-five dollars or $3,500 in cash prizes. So we got like sponsors for it and all that stuff and it was just really fun experience and I think 500 people signed up to do it and then a few people like dropped out but i think like 250 people streamed on that day as part of the event it felt very big at the time and it was a very inspiring time for me and for a lot of people too no no yeah absolutely you know i would definitely like from an outside perspective like say it was very big you know this like whole event like this whole 24-hour event was like sponsored by you know people bear metrics you know hacker noon indie hackers etc yep and i'm just curious you know like from this like 24-hour startup like what was like the craziest thing people built, you know, and like, I hate to, you know, I don't want to ask like two questions here, but you know, where are the founders now? Or like, where are the people, where are the 250 people that participated in the challenge like doing now? Yeah, it's a great question. So I can't speak to any specific apps because I always forget, but sure, sure. there's like, well, you, first of all, you can go to the website, 24hourstartup.com, 24hr startup.com or just search 24 startup on Google. And you can see the list of, I think it's over a hundred that actually launched like a working product. And just from like talking to people, I know a bunch of cases where people made money and there was like three or four scenarios where someone actually sold their business. I'm sure it wasn't for like a big amount of money, but you know, they had like a cool idea and then they just sold it to someone else. So there's a lot of stuff like that. And then I think there was a lot of ideas that came out of it that eventually got built more and turned into like real products that people continue to work on after. And it just kind of helped them launch or get to launch. And then also, I mean, a big thing about the 24 hour startup was I personally believe that it was a big launching pad for me yeah. and for my co-founders and also for a lot of people that were involved, like especially some people that really took it seriously and like 
used it as a way to get more people to know about their, like someone comes to mind is Steph Smith. I don't know if you know her, but she learned to code during, it was her first project. She didn't know how to code, but she's like, I'm just going to learn how to code. Or like, she knew the very basics. I'm just going to get on stream and people are going to help me. And then I think that that was like, (laughs) yeah. And she launched a startup out of that in 24 hours, even though it was something, you know, fairly basic, but she did it. And I think that a lot of people see something like that and they're like, okay, wow, this, this person is legit. And I think she got some nice recognition or whatever you want to call it out of that. And I noticed a lot of other people, it was a nice launching pad to get their name out or just to get themselves out there and be a little bit more like comfortable in their skin, like getting in front of a live stream and putting your face in front of the world that anyone can see and like sitting there figuring out how to code is like most people would be freaked out to do something. That was one of the reasons why a lot of people dropped out or didn't want to do it is because it's like really, really putting yourself out there. So, and I personally think that if you do something like that, like the amount that you level up is like just being so vulnerable like that is just like bigger than any kind of startup that comes out of it. Like from a personal development perspective, that was the biggest thing in my eyes. No, yeah, absolutely. Wow. And yeah, I'd love to just, you know, take this chronologically, like moving forward from like 24 hour startup. So, (laughs) you know, I'm still like in awe, like post, you know, the success of 24 hour and it's just like, okay, yeah, I'm done. You know, I'm just doing this full time, but I feel like it's like great, great, great validation. So, you know, you quit your job in New York and then you did start a story full time. And I guess I'd love to just talk about, you know, you bring it up like, a good amount but what are your thoughts here about like you know virality and i guess can you like you know find a common thread about which of your posts have gone viral how much do you have you know any stories about you putting in like a lot of time into this one piece of like content that like didn't end up going viral versus you know some one piece of content you wrote like on a whim and like it went viral i guess you know like what i'm trying to get at here is like i think a lot of virality, like working on failure. And like, this is like a very, very meta conversation that I really like, but like, you know, working on, you know, content, I think like lots of it is like kind of lucky. Like you have pieces of content that, you know, you get lucky with, like these guys like just blow up, but there's like piece of content, you know, that like you work really, really hard on and like, don't, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? You know, like being someone who has gone viral like a good number of times with your stuff, you know, how do you replicate that? And like, would you say it's like, more so just getting lucky or would you say you've done things to, you know, ensure your virality in a way? Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, I'm guessing you've seen similar things at failure, but yeah, there is times when I spent, you know, a lot of time and I thought it was a sure bet that, you know, this story or this idea or this blog post or whatever was going to be really popular and then no one cared. And then there's times when, for example, when we hit the front page of Hacker News that first time where I never like it's one of the most highly upvoted Hacker News posts in history or maybe of that year. And I just had no idea it was going to happen. So I always have like a checklist of things that I do and I try to build systems in place that can like enable those things from happening. But it feels like it's 100% luck when it does happen. And especially when it happens big, when it's really big, it's always luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. And I guess, you know, just like segueing from that into like the next thing that I want to talk about here. But 
Just like, what are your lofty visions here for like Star Story? You know, what's your 10x future? Like anything, you know, you're working on that you think people like are would be excited about. And like, you know, with like this whole notion of like luck being like either on your side or like not on your side. Are you, you know, anxious about the future in a way? Yeah, I think as founders, we're always anxious about the future. This is some common thing that I always hear founders talk about when I talk to them personally. People don't talk about it in the open because it's very vulnerable, but you feel like your business is going to fall apart tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all your customers are going to leave and Google is going to put some penalty on your website and no traffic is going to come to the website anymore and all your downloads are going to stop or whatever. So definitely anxiety always, which is probably the reason why I work so hard and why, you know, it's probably the reason why most ambitious people do what they do. But as far as visions for starter story, it just feels like sometimes you feel like there's no more businesses to interview and there's no more good stories to get, but you have to look at the big picture and say, okay, well, there's, you know, hundred million businesses in the world and I've only interviewed and talk to 1,000 of them. And telling stories about your business is never going to get old and it's never going to be not interesting anymore. So I th- really do think the sky's the limit for Starter Story and for you know any kind of publication like Valerie or for anyone else. And I do think that there's no winner take all. Like all of us are going to be really successful and there'll be more to come and it will only become bigger than it already is now. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, so the, the goal for starter story and podcast too as well. So like it's just keep growing and keep interviewing businesses and you know the site grows every month in terms of traffic and email list and all that. And then also I'm working on a new product, like a, a software product called Pigeon, where it's a CRM built in Gmail. So for businesses that do a lot of email work and want to automate more of their email work and back and forth, I'm building that too. So with starter story plus pigeon. I'm hoping to just keep working on that. And like I said earlier, I can never expect what to go viral. So I've kind of, my mentality has just kind of changed that I'm just going to work on one thing. And the consistency is the key. I think for any business, I don't think it really does matter what idea you pick as long as you work on it consistently, which is what I want to do for both Starter Story and Pigeon. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and like the the final like thing that I love to touch on, like from that conversation or like the discussion that we just had was like, you know, this is also a very, very meta conversation. But, you know, at Failery, you know, at Starter Story, we're always like asking founders for, you know, insights about failure, insights about success and really just like unlocking like the vulnerability and like making them really, really like public about their story. And like, I think this is something that like you really, really embody where, you know, you're down to 24 hours, just stream yourself like building a company or building a product. You know, I guess what's your thoughts here around publicity, you know, being vulnerable? Because I think a lot of people would, you know, given the choice, they would more so like hide their failures or hide the things that like got them to where they are. What value do you find about like being public about your stuff? It's the best question that I ever got on a podcast. But (laughs) uh, (laughs) I mean, it's really the embodiment of Starter Story. So for any listeners that haven't seen Starter Story, you have to share how much revenue you're making to be on the front page. So there is a level of vulnerability there that I think is the most amazing part makes for the most amazing founders and for the most successful founders. A lot of people want to share their story on starter story and then I let them know about that. They have to say what their revenue is and then they don't want to say it. And 
while I do think, you know, there are reasons why people won't do that, they have investors or whatever, I do think that not being able to be vulnerable and honest is a reason why some people won't ever get over that hump of not necessarily being successful, but being able to own their failures and overcome them. Because I was never always like this. I think I can always be better at this. And this is something that I learned from, I think, indie hackers just in general. And then Peter Levels is a big inspiration for this, just being honest and transparent, is if you can just own it, like my business, say your business isn't doing that well, if you can own it and be honest about it and tell people about that rather than holding it back, that's the moment where you will overcome it because you can identify the pain point for yourself, which is we don't have enough customers or we don't have enough revenue or we don't have enough growth. If you can be honest about that, then you will figure out the solution to that faster or just figure it out, period. Whereas I think other people won't figure that out because maybe it's that they're living a lie for a long time. The truth is always better. You know, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. It's that kind of thing. And I really do think that if you can just be honest and own it, that people see you and you just become more successful just for that reason itself. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And I do think that that is also a big reason why Starter Story was successful is that I shared when we made $3 in the first month, it was the first dollar I made online really by myself. And I tweeted about that and I wrote like a whole blog post about it. And I wrote a whole blog post about my 1000 people visiting my website, like so excited because it's better than zero. Right. And then every month when that goes up or when you learn something new or you fail in some way, you just write about that, share your story, talk about it openly that's what attracted a lot of people to my story and a lot of people to starter story and in general. And in some ways it's a marketing tactic or technique to be honest. And like, I think some of the best companies in the world, you see that as well. Like Elon Musk is a good example. So for me, it was like, just to be so honest about it. Like it was like, I'm not hiding anything. So I don't have to think about hiding anything and I don't have to think about impressing people. I'm just going to say how it is and not in focus on working and making things better. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. You said this is like the best question that you ask, but you know, lots of, lots of founders really, really love this next question. So I hope this, you know, comes in contention with like the best questions you've ever been ever asked, but you know, just going into this mantra of giving like founders who are, you know, in the trenches, whether their startup be going good, whether their startup be going really, really bad, like advice, I love, you know, to ask you kind of an intrinsic question where it's like, if you like Pat today, you know, Pat 2020 had to talk to, you know, Pat circa 2015, 2016, working on Delight, right? You know, like in the trenches, like super like unmotivated. What would you say? If I were to give myself advice? Yeah. Or yeah, if you had to give, you know, any founder in your shoes, you know, whether it be going good, whether it be going bad, but like you like, you know, in the lowest point of delight, like what would you say to yourself? I think I would say just to, I don't have a brilliant answer for this one, unfortunately, but <laughs> no I think that one of the hardest things as an entrepreneur is impatience for me, at least is like, it's never enough. It's never growing fast enough and it's never happening fast enough. You know, like whether it was when I had my full-time job and I wanted to be working on things full-time, I've always just been very impatient but throughout the years, I think I've learned a lot about patience and actually seeing how progress happens. And 
if you work on something every day, progress is guaranteed to happen. I cannot think of any entrepreneur or person, whether it's business or sports or whatever, that works hard every day and doesn't make progress, whether that's revenue going up or whatever you want to have. So when you're in it, when I look to the next two years or whatever, I can't see progress because my brain doesn't work that way. Like I think like, you know, my business is is not going to move up. It's going to stay in the same or it's going to get worse. But if I just continue to work every day and it always goes up, it's not, you know, it's not amazing every day or every month, but progress always leads to improvement. So I think that my advice would be just be patient and don't think too much about those kinds of things. Just work and just get stuff done and focus on the most important thing that can improve the business or yourself or whatever. And you do that enough times over enough days or months or years, and then you will have everything you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've been giving people like great advice. Is there anything, this is like your moment now to like plug anything you'd like, you know, 24 hour startup, 24 hrstartupcom You know, we've already mentioned that, but you know, anywhere we can find you, you know, on the web, on social media, anything you'd like to plug about Starter Story in the future? Yeah, Starter Story is starterstory.com or just search Starter Story on Google or search my name <laughs> to find my Twitter should come up, Pat Walls. And then that has links to also Pigeon, the CRM I'm working on. And then I'll just tweet about like, you can find my blog on there and my YouTube channel. All of it is like kind of just all weird and crazy. <laughs> and I still don't know what I'm doing, but yeah, just search my name on Google and that's probably the best place to start. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Pat, you know, thank you so much. You know, you've been giving me great, great advice. And, you know, if anyone is down to, you know, start a, like a pet business or like a pet website, please definitely reach out to Pat. I know he'd definitely appreciate that. <laughs> thank you so much for your time, Pat. I had a lot of fun recording this. Yeah, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. It was awesome. That was another episode of the Failery Podcast. We have a bunch of these coming around, so stick around. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Failery Podcast. I've been Brandon Hundoko, and once more, I'd like to thank our friends over at Acadium for making this episode possible. If you think you could benefit from a hand in marketing and sales, make sure to check out their tool, which connects businesses with marketing students for three-month internships. Redeem your $50 discount just for being a Failery Podcast listener at failery.com slash get slash Acadium. That's failery.com slash get slash Acadia.